Where'd we leave off? 12, 9, 8. Let's go back to the... No, let's, let's start at verse 9. I think that's where we left off. It's so because first and second service, sometimes I, mis, I miscalculate, but this is 9. Verse 9, God's word says, John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. This is amazing. Isn't that amazing? By the way, this is the only physical description that we have of Jesus in our Bibles. In the book of Isaiah, we're told that there was nothing beautiful that would attract us to Jesus. When, when, we, when he came the first time, there wasn't any beauty about him physically. And, and, and maybe you're hearing that this morning going, oh, time out, Pastor. Jesus is too beautiful. I have the most beautiful painting of him at home. He's the, mo he's the most beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer you've ever seen before. <laughs> Well, what does Jesus look like? We see it here. We see this amazing description of our Lord. And notice where it begins, though, in verse 9. Let me draw your attention to verse 9. John, once again, identifies himself 
as the recipient of the revelation. And this is John the Apostle. But notice how he identifies himself as he's writing here. He doesn't say, hey, this is from the Apostle John. This is from Dr. John. This is, this is from Most Reverend John. Look at how he identifies himself with me. I, John, both your brother and companion. Isn't that amazing? He says, number one, we're family. This is coming from your brother. Your brother who cares about you. And by the way, we are all part of God's family if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is a family you can't sign up for, sign a membership card. If you want to be part of God's family, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. That makes us family. That brings us together as brothers and sisters. But he says here, your brother, and then number two, your companion. And companion means joint participant. It means a fellow partaker of. And notice he mentions three things that we are fellow partakers of as children of God, as God's children, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, here's three things that we share in. Here's three things that we have in common. Number one, what does he say? Number one, we share in tribulation. By the way, this is not the great tribulation like we talked about last week. We'll get to that unless the Lord comes, by the way, which would be way better. We will see the great tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. We'll look at that later on. But this is tribulation with a small t. And the word means, literally, it means oppressing. It means compression. It means, to, it means to be afflicted is the idea. And maybe you've come in here this morning and that's what you're feeling like. The world's pounded you. You've got so much. You're carrying around just this weight of, of the world on you. And it, and it feels like just pressure upon pressure. And, and, and there's trouble and heaviness. Maybe, maybe you've run in heaviness this morning because of what you've been going through. I just, I want to share with you, number one, that you're not alone in that. It's something that's common to all of us. Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have pressure. You will have heaviness. But what? Be of good cheer. Why? Jesus said, because I've overcome the world. And that very overcomer is living in you. And living in me to help us in the midst of our tribulation and difficulty. And listen, none of us is immune to difficulty. We all go through storms. We all go through trials. And the only way that we will be able to endure is by trusting the Lord and doing his word, applying his word in our lives. And so he says we're companions in tribulation. Listen, you're not alone. We're in it together. And then he says we're also companions in what? In the kingdom. We are part of God's kingdom together. Isn't that good news this morning? Is that good news this morning? Yes. Thank you. Colossians 1.13. God has delivered us. From the power of darkness. That's what we were once. We were once in the power of darkness. In the clutches of darkness. God delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. He transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Isn't that beautiful? You and I have had a, a, a miraculous transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into Jesus's kingdom. And we're all part of that as his followers, his everlasting kingdom. And I just want to point out that one day that will be a reality when we see him face to face, that kingdom. And then number three, what do we share in? What are we companions in? In patience. And this is our Greek word. Remember this Greek word? 
Hoopamone? It sounds like it's Italian. Hoopamone. <laughs> Can you give me a little hoopamone on the side? <laughs> hoopamone. You know what it means? It means to bear up under. It means to hang in there, to not throw in the towel, to not quit. It speaks of endurance. The Bible tells us it's with patience we bear fruit. It's with patience we possess our souls. And, and the testing of our faith produces patience, James would write. And Jesus commends patience in our lives when we bear up under it. Because listen, when you are enduring, when you're enduring hardship for Jesus, guess what? You're enduring hardship with Jesus. He's with you to help you. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us to shoulder whatever it is you got going through. And listen, I shared this first service. I prayed about sharing, whether or not to share it. Um, I shared it, I think, uh, some few weeks ago. Um, sometimes you hear people say, God will never give you more than what you can handle. And some of you, some of you have actually said that too, I'm sure. And it's okay. But I don't think it's a true statement. Because if I could handle it, why would I need the Lord? I think the Lord allows into our lives way more than what we can handle. Why? That we would learn to trust in him and him alone. Listen, having a special needs child, it is way more than I can handle. But I've learned that his grace is sufficient and that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And he will help you every step along the way when you look to his sufficiency, when you look to his resources. Amen? Amen. Where's John at? He's on the island. Where's it? Which island is he on? Maui? Where's he at? What's it say? Make sure you're with me. On the island of Patmos. And this island, if you have a Bible map, you can check it, check it out. It's, it's on the, the eastern side of, of Greece in the Aegean Sea. It's actually more off of the, the coast of Turkey, about 30 plus miles south of Ephesus. And it was a prison island. It was where uh, the Romans would send some hardened criminals. There was a marble, uh, there was like a marble quarry there where people would go to quarry rocks um, for the Romans. And so John is sent there, he's exiled there, and this was during the reign of uh, the Caesar, his name was Domitian. He was the dude, the emperor on the scene at that time. And so we're talking about somewhere around 95 to 96 AD is the timing of what's happening here. And it is a lonely, it was a lonely, desolate, rocky island and prisoners were there. Sometimes there were prisoners there. Sometimes there weren't. And so he may have been there. Some people believe he may have been there as a missionary. I don't necessarily uh, know whether or not that's the case. We're not told. But we're told what he was convicted for, right? You see what he was convicted for? Two things. Why, what was he convicted of? Look what it says. Number one for what? The word of God. Number one, he was convicted and exiled. Why? For the word of God. He believed the Bible to be God's word. And not only did he believe it, he lived out the Bible as well. He taught the Bible believing it is God's word. I would say the Bible was the most important influence in his life. Number two, why was he, what was he charged of? What was the charges? Number two, for what? What does it say? What does your Bible say? For the testimony. What's a testimony? Witness. You give a witness to the world around you that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what he was convicted of. It speaks of what? It speaks of living for Jesus, sharing Jesus with others. He went on record that Jesus is the most important thing in his life. 
I think it's amazing. John was convicted for being a Christian. So the question this morning is, if you were brought into court to be tried as a Christian, would there be any evidence that it's true in your life? What is the evidence in your life? Would you be convicted of being a Christian this morning? Would the evidence, would the evidence be that you're a man or woman of God's word? Would the evidence be your witness for Jesus Christ? What would be the evidence in your life that you would be convicted of a Christian? It's straight up for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was persecuted and brought here to this island. But can I, can I point out, look at the next verse. He's in this place of isolation. And what does he receive? The greatest revelation. Look what it says to me. What's it say? I was... I was bitter and bummed and griping on the Lord's day. Is that what it says? I was in the Spirit. If you're not in the Spirit, what are you in? The flesh. If you're not in the Spirit, you're in the flesh, correct? Like I asked my, when, when Alana was like five, honey, if you're not in the Spirit, what are you? I'm in the flesh. If, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, what are you filled with? Me. That may be one interpretation. He was in the Spirit. On the Lord's Day, on Sunday, the day of our Lord's resurrection. He's there. Maybe he's singing songs to the Lord. Maybe he's praying. He's in the Spirit. He's worshiping God. He's giving thanks to the Lord of glory. Even though he's far away from church, he's not taking a break from Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? Sometimes we go on vacation and we don't look for a church. We take a break from Jesus. Can I encourage you, don't take a break from Jesus ever, <laughs> no matter where you're at. Some believe that in the spirit, this phrase that's being used speaks of some sort of spiritual moment or unique spiritual experience um, where, where John was carried beyond um, his normal senses into a state where the Lord was um, able to reveal supernatural stuff to him. I would point out this phrase in the spirit is used, I think it's three other times, and every time it's used, he's in the spirit, he gets transported somewhere. The first one's heaven, the second one is the wilderness, and the third is to a mountain. And you can look that up on your own and check it out. And so that's possible as well. In any event, John hears something. What does he hear? Look what it says at the end of verse 10 with me. So John hears a really loud voice, and it sounds like, or as of a, what's a trumpet? Anybody play the trumpet? Nobody wants to admit it. Same, same thing, first service. I'm like, really? And so it's like, yeah, I played the thing. It's cool. Trumpets are cool. It's just when you can't play them, it sounds awful, doesn't it? When you play them good, it's like, it's intense. It's brilliant. It's powerful. So John hears from behind him this amazing voice that sounds like a trumpet. And what does the voice say? Look what it says to me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We talked more about this last week in our Bible study, but this is a, this is a claim of deity, especially that phrase, for I am the first and the last. It's found three times in Revelation, but also it's found, listen, three times in the book of Isaiah, where God Almighty says that he is the first and the last. If you're taking notes, you can check it out on your own. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Isaiah 41, 4. Isaiah 44, verse 6. That's a really good one, too. Isaiah 44, verse 6. And Isaiah 48, 12. 
Jesus is clearly, um, clearly proclaiming deity here, by the way. This is a, a clear claim to be God from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at the instructions given to him. What you see, what should you do? What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then all the churches are listed there. And so what John sees, what's he to do? To write down everything, to take note of it. And then once he gets done writing it, revelation, the revelation was meant to be circulated to all seven churches. And not only that, the book of Revelation was then to be passed along to the church throughout throughout history, all the churches. And And it's coming to our hands, hasn't it? And it's beautiful. The book of Revelation was intended to be circulated and passed on through the ages. And just a quick note, those seven churches were literal churches that existed in John's day. And they form a rough circle. When you look on your Bible map, it forms a rough circle there on the western part of modern-day Turkey. And I think there's a couple of things here, though, I think application-wise for you and for me this morning. Um, It was a lonely place where John was. You guys ever been lonely before? Have you ever been lonely? Going through something hard? Again, maybe tribulation, something heavy? If John wasn't there, he wouldn't have received the revelation. So what he was going through, listen, the Lord used in his life. Why do I say this? Because the most difficult times in our lives can be the most fruitful. How about this? Difficult times mean fruitful vines. How do you like that? If you're abiding in Jesus. That might be a good little song, right? A little rap song. <laughs> Difficult times produce fruitful vines. I mean, look at David. Look what happened with David. Like, hunted down, not only by Saul, but his own son, too. And what it produced, we read in the Psalms, the beauty of the Psalms, how encouraged we are through what he went through. And so whatever you're going through, listen, you are God's workmanship. He wants to bring forth through your life beautiful themes that can only be expressed through our suffering, through our hurt, through the situation you're going through. If you give it to him, if you you go and flesh out and sing the poor Mimi's, there's not going to be a beautiful tune coming from your life. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to stick this out with you. I'm going to ask you to fill me with your spirit because that's what God does, doesn't he? When When we ask, does he fill us? He told us to, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be a boozer. Don't be drunk. It's a waste. But be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that rivers of living water would flow from your innermost being. Amen? Here's the second thing. John was obedient to the Lord. John was obedient. I know that sounds like, oh yeah. Like, no brainer, dude. Yeah, he was obedient. John didn't say, you know what? I got a lot of free time on my hands. Maybe I'm going to write a book here. And, you know, I, it, you know what I'm saying? Jesus told him, what you see, write down. And what did he do? Total obedience. I think it's a great pattern for us to, to follow, right? When Jesus tells us to do something, to what? What should we do? We should do it. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Three times in John 14. If you love me, obey what I'm telling you to do. Remember what the Father said? When the sun was being lifted up and on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son 
hear him. Hear what he's saying and do what he's saying. That came from the father. Remember the last words from his mother? Who was his mom? Mary. What, what were the last words of his mom? Free extra donut for anyone that gets this. No. Just kidding. Says about Jesus to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Isn't that great? That's the last thing we hear from Mary in the book. Whatever Jesus says, do it. That is great counsel. And that's what John does. He gets, receives the revelation, and all of a sudden, he writes it. He quills it. Where did he get the paper and pen from? I have no idea. Verse 12. It, the, where the Bible's silent, we need to be silent. Amen? It's a good practice. John tur- so John turns around. He hears his voice behind him, and then all of a sudden, he turns around to see the voice... And what's the first thing he sees? What's the first thing he sees? Seven golden lampstands. And by the way, this is not the menorah. You guys know the menorah? It's the seven-branched seven candlestick thing. It's got three on one side, three on the other, one up central. You know what I'm talking about? The menorah. That's not what we're talking about here. These are seven freestanding oil lamps with wicks. Oil goes in them is the idea they are, they are givers of light, if you will, needing both the oil and the fire to shine. And notice they're not like made of tin or clay. What are they made of? They're gold, of something precious and valuable. And so John, what does he do? He simply tells us what he saw. And by the way, Jesus will tell us what the lampstands are and the stars in just a little while. Oh, we read it, but we'll get to it in just a minute. Because we don't need to guess. Do you know that this morning? We don't need to guess what they are. We know what they are. And, and also, I just want to point out, we see the word like. We see the word as you've used over a number of times. John is trying, listen, John is trying to describe the picture for us of what he's seeing. Can I encourage you this morning to let the picture speak for itself? Some of you guys know I, this is the fourth time I've taught this book I think like the first time and the second time maybe, I taught the book and it was like, well, the bronze feet represent judgment and the gold represents this. And, the out- and it's like, that's not what John had in mind when this was going on. All-, all those things are true, but John is looking at this going, whoa, wow, don't miss out on the beauty, the majesty, the power of our Lord. Again, use your imagination and consider what he's seeing. Try to see it in your mind's eye. Does that make sense? Because look what he says. What does John notice next? Right in the mist. What's the mist mean? In the middle of these golden lampstands stood, notice how he puts it, one like the Son of Man. This impressive person that looks just like Jesus. Because didn't Jesus use that for himself a lot? I I think he used it more than any other um, description of himself in the Gospels. The son of, when the son of man, when the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. This happens to the son of man. He used that phrase for himself more than any other. And it is a messianic uh, reference. If you're taking notes, Daniel 7 Verses 13 and 14. Any Jew that heard that, especially in those times, went, he's talking about the, he's the Messiah. He's claiming to be the Messiah. And John's saying he looks like the Son of Man. He's clothed with, with a garment, his outfit, most likely a robe, covered his whole body, extending down to his feet 
Around his chest was a a gold band, kind of like a belt is the idea. And then John works his way up. Look at verse 14. His head and hair, super white hair, as if glistening like snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, his eyes are piercing as if they they burn or see right through you. Have you ever been around somebody like that? They look at you and it looks like they're looking right into your soul. It's like, whoa. That's the idea here. He looks right into us. It's piercing like flames of fire. And then I think it's interesting because he's looking at his eyes and immediately where does he look? Look what it says. Right down to his feet. It's almost like he had to get his eyes off of him. Let me get my, my eyes down here. His feet had like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. In other words, they had a special glow to them. No imperfections. He is totally glorious all the way down to his feet, is the idea. And his voice, his voice as the sound of many waters. His voice, powerful heavy, rushing forth. You not only heard it, but you could also feel it as well. You guys ever been next to a wall? Anybody been next to a waterfall, like Niagara Falls? Anybody? That's not very many. How about like big waves coming in on a beach? North Shore, Hawaii, pipeline? Big? No? Not resonating? Okay, how about this? You pull up to a red light, and a car pulls up next to you, and it's like, boom. And they're bumping the bass right next to you, and you can not only hear it, you can feel it. Resonate a little better? You guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I got that. Listen, the voice of the Lord full of power and majesty. Not only you hear it, but you feel it is the idea. He had in his right hand seven stars in his grip. Out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. We, we hear that phrase used in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The, the word for sword is different in Hebrews 4 than it is here. In Hebrews 4, it's like a little, it's like almost like a little knife you do like, in, like fighting in tight. This is a big, huge Thracian sword, one blow, and it's adios, dude. You're gone. And we're going to see that come up later in Revelation chapter 19. A giant sword dealing a large, uh, dealing a death blow with anything that comes in contact with it. Wow. His countenance, his face was super bright like the sun shining in its strength. What do our moms tell us when we're little? Don't look into the... The sun, right? You get what, blind? Is that what it is? But it's super bright, right? You just, after a while, you got to just turn away because it's, and so super bright is the idea. And notice verse 17, when John saw him, what was his response? He was wiped out completely. Notice he fell at his feet as dead. He didn't die. It was like the life got taken right out of him, crumbling at the feet of Jesus. And this is John the Apostle. Remember, John walked with Jesus. He talked to Jesus, touched Jesus, hung out with him, put his head on his breast, laid his head there. He was that comfortable with the Lord, and the Lord was cool with that. He took care of Jesus' mom. And now he comes in contact with the Lord Almighty, and he is wiped out. You know what? And we see that in the Bible, don't we? 
When people see Jesus in his glory, they fall down as if dead. Isaiah 6, when, when uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he was broken. Daniel, Daniel could stand up against the lions, right? Man, he, he's not backing down from no lions. But then when Daniel sees the Lord, the Son of Man, he's wiped out. And so I would say this morning, contact with Jesus shouldn't cause us to be lifted up in pride, but to be brought low in humility. And we get a fresh vision of Jesus here this morning, a fresh awareness of who he is. And it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, when people come in contact with him, it's like, it's not like, hey, what's up, homeboy? There's a recognition of his holiness, his majesty, his power. And I love what the Lord does. Do you see that? The Lord did what? Touched John with his right hand. He laid his right hand on him. The grace of our Lord, the goodness of our Lord, the power of a touch. Laid his right hand on me, saying what? Stop, literally stop fearing. Why? For I'm the first and the last. I'm where, where it all begins, where it ends. I'm the beginning, the ending of everything. I'm the eternal one. I am he who lives, the the immortal one, the, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the self-existent one that needs no one else, the giver of life, the eternal one who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I was dead, but I rose again on the third day, and I'll never die ever again. I lay down my life, and I take it right back up again. And notice what else? So be it. That's the truth. Amen. And I have the keys... To Hades and death. What's he saying there? He's got the keys to Hades and death. In other words, I have ultimate control and authority, not only the abode of the dead, but also death itself. And we're going to learn about that later. Death, where death takes the body, but Hades takes the soul. Um, but we know for us as Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with who? With the Lord. Is that good news this morning? It is. Because Jesus gives us three great reasons not to fear, to stop fearing this morning. Are you fearing this morning anything? You have no reason to. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. Well, give me three good reasons I shouldn't be freaking out. Look what it says, what Jesus says. Number one, he's the first and the last. You know what that means? He's sovereign. He's in control. Do you believe that this morning, that he's in control? It's hard, I mean, it's hard to, to grasp that, isn't it? Sometimes watching what's going on. Is the world getting gooder and gooder? No way, man. But listen, can I just remind us the Lord is still on the throne. He is the first and the last. His word will have the final say, not only in this world, but in your life as well. He's the first and the last. And not only that, what else does it say? He's risen. He's alive. Again, Jesus said, because I live, so you too shall live as well. Again, our last breath here, first breath in his presence. That's another reason to stop freaking out and fearing, isn't it? The key, he's got the keys. He's unlocked the fear of death. Hebrews 2, right? We were once in bondage to the fear of death. Correct? Fearing death? What's going to happen? Where am I going? But then you come to know Jesus Christ personally. And you, know, you not only know where you came from, you didn't come from like primordial sludge and 
fortuitous circumstances and lightning blasts and a big bang. You have a, you have a maker, a creator, who made you fearfully, you're fearfully and wonderfully made that should cause us to praise him. And not only that, he's not only our creator, he's our redeemer. He rescued us, paid the price for our lives that we could be with him forever. We know where we're going. We know what life's all about. Now, is life all about gaining as much stuff as you can? He who has the most gold wins, or what is that what it is? Is it it something like that, the bumper sticker, the gold rules, or the golden rule? The golden rule, he with the gold rules. Sorry, it's off. Day by day, and him working in and through our lives, and seeing him use our lives for the furtherance of his kingdom and for the glory of God. We're no longer worshiping and serving stuff and things and drugs and power and whatever else. Now we're serving and worshiping the King of Kings. Our life has takes on meaning, and we know where we're going. Again, we know where we came from. We know what life's about. We know where we are going. Perfect love casts out all fear, gang. Jesus reaches down in love. Listen, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who I am. You belong to me. Well, look at verse 19. This is so good. Do we have time? Oh, yeah, another hour we got? Sweet. (laughs) Jesus gives instructions and interpretation here. What does Jesus say? He instructs John to write down three things. And by the way, this gives us our outline for the entire book of Revelation. Isn't that nice that Jesus gives us an outline to follow? Yeah, is it good? Don't you like that? It helps us out. So he's to write down number one. Look what it says. Write the things which you have seen. Write down the things that happened. That's chapter one. Seeing the Lord Jesus glorified, majestic, powerful, awesome. The things which you've seen, number one. Chapter one. Number two, the things which are. That would be chapter 2 and 3. The things which are now in progress. The church age. The churches. What's going on with the churches? Chapter 2 and 3. And then number 3, the things which will take place after this. Things that will take place in the future. These things that take place after the church's history ends. In other words, future events beginning with the rapture, number 1. The rise of the Antichrist, the seven-year period of the tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet Earth to set up his kingdom for how long was it again? Thousand, otherwise known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Then the final judgment for unbelievers, the great white throne judgment it's called. And then the new heavens and the new earth. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. And what's written, these things that are written are going to reveal Jesus for us. The revelation of Jesus Christ to illuminate Jesus for us. We see Jesus here in chapter 1 in a fresh way, don't we? We've never seen what he looks like before, but now we get a, a description of his majesty and beauty and his power and his awesomeness. Is that a word? He's super awesome. Chapter 2, we, also, we get what? 
we get an illumination. We get what's being revealed, what's going on in us as Jesus looks at us, as he looks at the church, as he looks at us as individuals, what's going on inside of us and inside of our church. He gives us a, 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 a report card to see how we're doing, how our church is performing. If we are a successful church in his eyes, if I'm a successful Christian in his eyes, because it doesn't matter what the world says, it doesn't matter what Google says, because Google, is Google always right? No. There's a lot of man-made definitions about a successful church, but only Jesus tells us what is a, what is a successful church in his eyes. And we're going to see that in chapter 2 and 3. And then we're going to, it's going to be revealed, illuminated, what's going to happen in the future. And by the way, it's all in relation to Jesus Christ. We got one more verse. Can we do it? Yeah, we can. Let's do it. I'm not waiting for an answer. Because Jesus is going to help us understand what the imagery means here. He says, the mystery of the seven stars, mystery, something hidden until it's revealed by Jesus. The mystery of the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. So each church, seven of them, each one has an angel, or the word in Greek is angelos. It also means messengers. The word is used interchangeably in the New Testament. Sometimes it's used for angels, like the ones that are dispatched from heaven. Right? Sometimes we're entertaining angels. I don't know what that, I'm, that sounds cool. God dispatches angels to, to what? To come alongside those who will inherit salvation. But there's also, we see in the New Testament, this word angelos used for messengers, such as John the Baptist. It's used for him. John the Baptist sent messengers, angelos, to Jesus. Are you the one to come, or should we look for someone else? Y'all remember that? James chapter 2, Rahab sent the spies. They're called messengers, angelos, there also. So it can also be, and I believe what it's talking about here, it's the seven stars are the pastor or a leader of the church that has been entrusted to their care, is the idea. Because these messengers need to communicate what comes from heaven to the church. Communicate what God wants communicated to his precious people. Are you guys still with me? So what does God want us to see here? Number one, where are the stars at? They're in his right hand. Jesus has in his hand the messenger, the person, the servant that will communicate to his church. Being in his hand indicates protection, possession, John chapter 10, it speaks of us being in Jesus' hand, doesn't it? Doesn't it say that in John chapter 10? Does it say that in John chapter 10? We're not only in Jesus' hand, we're also in the Father's hand. How does that work out? Just like this. How can that work out? Just like that. Is that a good place to be? So the messenger, the pastor, the leader, the one to communicate is in his right hand. For me, that brings me so much comfort this morning. Why? Because the only reason I survive as a communicator is because I'm in his hand. Because he could go any minute just, I'm done with you, bro. <laughs> stars are light givers, illuminators. Think about what stars do. I think they're leaders of the flock over which the Holy Spirit has placed them. It is a huge responsibility to be a messenger because it's God who sends you, it's God who's called you to be faithful to his word, 
to be a faithful steward of the mysteries of God uh, and to be faithful as a servant, to feed, to plead, and to lead God's people. And so these stars are entrusted with this message to share with the flock. And, and I would say, um, really, the second thing here is that God values communication. God values communication, the reading, the listening, the keeping of his word. The, listen, what's the main thing? The main thing is the message that from God is communicated to his people. That's the main thing. If there's no preaching, there's no church. If there's no preaching and teaching, there's no church. Well, at least not a healthy church. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, entertain my sheep. If you love me, exercise my sheep really good, hard. Spank them. Is that... What did Jesus say? If you love me, feed my sheep. What do we feed God's precious people with? What was it again? The word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I have a friend. We have a friend. We all have a friend. We're all part of his ministry. He's in Dublin planting a church. Pray for him. And he had a guy with him in ministry. Man, it was like, this guy is, this family's going to be with them, man, the whole way out. Ministry, by the way, planting a church is not easy business. It's not easy. It's like, this guy, you know what? He's going to be with me the whole way. A year later, you know where the family is? Gone. And, and, and I, I want, I'm, there's a point to this. You know why? You know, you know what the reason was? There's too much word, there's too much Bible in this church. Really? When you say that, you know what you're communicating? You're communicating, I want more of the world in me. Listen, it's the word of God that transforms our lives. It's the way that God speaks to our hearts and comforts us and strengthens us and shows us where, where we need adjustments to be made. It's the word of God that's like a mirror that shows me my condition. It's the word of God that nourishes me. It's absolutely crucial. God values the communication. And so the most important thing about church is that God's message is communicated. The seven lampstands, what are they? What does he say? The seven lampstands are the seven what? Seven churches. So what does God want us to see here? Well, number one, I would say, where was Jesus in relation to the churches? He was where? In the midst. He's right in the middle. That's where Jesus always needs to be, right in the middle of the church, by the way. Right in the midst, right? Where two or three are gathered, where's he at? Right in the midst. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who met him right there in the midst of the fiery furnace, right in the middle? Jesus was there, right between the two crosses. Who was right in the middle? Jesus was. Revelation chapter 5, who's in the middle of heaven where everybody, who, who everyone's worshiping? It's Jesus right in the middle. That is his proper place, not only in the church, but it needs to be in our lives as well. If he's not number one, listen, things are good. life will not work for you. I love you guys. I share that with my kids all the time. My girls in college. If Jesus is not number one, it, nothing's going to work out for you. You make him number one, life will work. 
And you'll be blown away because when you do it God's way, what does he do? He supplies everything you need. He's working supernaturally, wonderfully, gloriously. But he can't be number one in a list of gods either. You know what I'm saying? Like I got Jesus. Yeah, I show up on Sunday and we're good. You ain't good if you got other gods. Because in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, God says, I will have no other God before me. And when he says no other God before me, it means no other God in my sight. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So it's him and him alone. And maybe that's a word for someone this morning. I love you and, and, you're, and life's not working for you. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I need to lay down whatever it is that I'm serving, that I'm living for and make Jesus number one again, or for the first time this morning, you make him number one. And so, Jesus is central. He's in charge of the church, by the way. You know he's the senior pastor? (laughs) And we must be submitted to him, to his word, (laughs) to keep him as the supreme authority in our lives and in the church. I would say number two about the churches here, um, lampstands are instruments that give light, correct? They need, what do they need to keep going? They need oil. They need fire. Oil in the Holy Spirit. I already gave it away. Oil in the, oil in the Bible is a picture of what? I gave it away, didn't I? Holy Spirit. Who's the one tending to the lampstands? Who's the one tending? It's Jesus. He's the one that clears out the soot. He's the one that fills with the oil. He's the one that trims the wicks. I learned two weeks ago, when you trim the wick a certain way, if you really want to learn the little secret, I'll tell you afterwards, if you cut it a certain way, it shines brighter than all the other ways. Isn't that interesting? It's like, Lord, trim me up. I want to shine bright for you. Lord, fill me up. That I would shine for you. Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't put your light under a bushel, dude. Chica, get it out there. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As a church, we're to be an instrument of light to this community. Light is needed where there's darkness. Do you realize how dark it's getting, gang? It's getting darker and darker out there. That means, you know what? We need to get trimmed up nice and sharp to shine bright for Jesus, to be men and women under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So lampstands need to be tended to. Do you know that Jesus attends this church? Do you know he attends this church? This is his church. He values the church. Again, did you notice there are golden lampstands? They're not made out of tin. They're not recycled. Hey, can we get a recycled lampstand? That would be really groovy, man. It's gold beautiful. It's valuable. Jesus values the church. Can I ask you a question? Do you value the church? It's important. He wants us to gather. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, as we see the day approaching. We are to be gathering together as God's people. That's actually a command. And There's seven different churches. Do you know there's different ways to do church? Pastor, I don't like the way you do church over here, man. Well, you know what? There's six more. (laughs) 
Do you know that Jesus is okay with churches being different, different denominations? We see him, we're going to see him, he's right in the middle, he's moving right through the midst of them all. I don't need to go to church. The ocean is my church. <laughs> Whatever. Listen, not being plugged in is, is a danger. It's a danger spiritually. You know what I'm talking about? I think COVID's allowed a lot of excuses for people not to go to church. I'm going to probably step on some toes. I don't care. I love you. There's a health risk. Can't go to church. How, how do you think it was in the first century? Was it a health risk going to church in the first century? <laughs> you look at that mission board when you go out and those brothers and sisters, and we don't have our brothers and sisters in Cuba. We have about eight or nine pastors that we support. Their lives are on the line every single day. The congregation, the lampstand shining in the midst of Sudan or wherever. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's crucial. No one benefits, no one benefits if you're not here from your life. But when we're here, listen, it tells us in Ephesians that when we're together, we're all, we're all doing our part. The body is healthy. And every part does its share, what we're supposed to be doing. Man, it's a healthy body. We're firing on all, how many cylinders? I don't know. We're, all cylinders we're firing on. I think that's enough for this morning. Can I encourage you to read ahead? But isn't Jesus amazingly awesome? He's awe-inspiring, amen? I mean, it's jaw-dropping when John sees him. And I think at times it should cause us to be broken before him and to fall on our faces before. I think there's sometimes it should cause us just to praise him and thank him. To be excited to celebrate Jesus. Worship is, the, the word worship is an old English word, worth-ship. It means I'm saying, Lord, you are worth it. You are worth my adoration, my praise, my obedience, my trust, my very life. That's what worship is. I'm saying, Lord, you're worth it. And so may we continue to worship him in Jesus' name. Lord, thank